This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. I have been digging in this book of Ruth for a while now, and I can't tell you how many times I've read it. And, um, and I just think this has become maybe my favorite book in the whole Bible in, just in, the, in the last few weeks. I just go, wow, God, this is awesome stuff. I didn't know it was in here. And uh, lots, I've had people tell me some of the same kind of comments. I'm going to begin with verse um, 23, where we left off last week um, in chapter 2. Uh, Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let me stop and say, if you don't have a Bible to look at right now, there's some in the chairs, grab one. And let me encourage you, bring your Bible. I'm old school about this. I know some of you like to use your things and, and, your, and your phones and, and that stuff to follow in the scriptures. You can't underline those things. You can't write down stuff. You know, you can't highlight things. And um, get your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, I'll give you one today, okay? See Tom after the gathering at the Welcome Center and say, Tom, I don't own a Bible. Can I have one? And we've got one for you because we want you to have a copy of the Word. Six weeks later, right in between chapter 2 and chapter 3, write the words in your Bible. Six weeks later is when chapter 3 begins. Um, Ruth is a story of, of a young widow by the name of Ruth, who with her mother-in-law, also a widow, um, left Moab, a foreign country, went back to Bethlehem, the home of Naomi, the mother-in-law. There was another daughter-in-law that Naomi had and named Orpah, and Orpah chose, as Naomi suggested, stay here with your family, go back to your family, your husband's dead, go back to your family. Uh, there you'll have the opportunity in verse 9 of chapter 1. If you stay there, there's a great opportunity that maybe you'll be able to marry, get a new husband, and have, I love the, the, the word that the King James Bible, maybe the New King James says, have rest with that new husband. The word means security, but the word is rest there in that. You'll have security. You'll have a husband. If you go with me, who knows what will happen? We may be two widows who live out our days as widows, and that's not a good life in their time and their culture to be a widow. There was no social security. There wasn't any. There would be dependent on the generosity of people to make it through. And one of the ways that generosity was evident was, according to the Jewish law, the poor people and the stranger, the foreigner, could come at the time of harvest and follow the harvesters and pick up the scraps that were left behind and glean if you will. So Ruth, at the beginning of chapter two, says to Naomi, can I, can I go and, and glean in the harvest? Can I do that? We, we have to have something to eat. And Naomi said, sure, go ahead. And she goes and she finds a field and she begins to do like all the, the folks that had nothing, the, the very poor and, and the, uh, the immigrants who had nothing and, and follow the harvesters and pick up the, the scraps and, and she would take them home. Uh, in the middle of the day, the owner of the field, a man by the name of Boaz, who happens to be related to Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. The rabbi said he was there. He was Elimelech's nephew. He shows up. The rabbis also said that day was the day that Boaz had his wife's funeral. So he's a widower. He comes and he know, he's looking and, and he sees all the folks out there in his field harvesting and, and he's a good man. He go, shows up and he says to his, all his workers, God bless you all today. Uh, and and he, he cares about them. 
He says, who's that young lady? And uh, somebody says, that's Ruth. She's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Well, he knows Naomi because Naomi's related to him through her husband. Naomi and her husband Elimelech left 10 years ago and went to Boab. And now Elimelech has died. The two sons have died. Naomi and Ruth are back and they're widows and they're dependent on the generosity of the people. And, and uh, he said, and because she's related, he says, listen, you guys, let her get up here close with the, with the harvesters. Don't let her lag behind. You watch out for her. If she gets thirsty, you let her have the water that you've brought for my employees to drink. And then when lunchtime came, she got to sit down and eat lunch with them. And Boaz sat down and he gave her something to eat. And, and she took the leftovers back home. But he got to know her a little bit and find out a little bit more about her. That's six weeks ago when we get to chapter 3. But Boaz said some neat things to her. And he said, look, I want you to stay with my workers. I want you to stay with my, my, my male employees. They're going to watch out for you. They will protect you. They're not going to flirt with you. They're not going to, you know, and he told them not to. And, uh, and he, said, and he, and he said, and said to the women, you let her up here and let her harvest with you. She's not to pick up the scraps. You just let her go ahead and whatever she can carry home, that's what she can have. He was a very generous man. And so Ruth goes back home at the end of the day and she's got a ton not a ton, but all that she can carry of grain. She goes back home and, and Naomi says, my goodness, girl, how did you get all this? And she tells a story. She said, first Naomi says, God bless the whoever's field it was. What was his name? And she says, Boaz. And Naomi's thinking, all right. Boaz legally can marry you and restore the property rights that my husband and my sons lost when they died. She starts thinking of all the things that can happen. Now, I told you last Sunday, they represent different people, if you will. They're types of different people. Naomi, <clears throat> beginning chapter two, is a type of the Holy Spirit. Ruth is a type of the new Christian. Boaz is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So keep those things in mind as we go through this story, and you'll see some things you go, oh, now I get it. And I'll point out some of these things to you, all right? But I'm going to stop every now and then as I read. Verse 1, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find security for you so that you'll be taken care of? I need to help you find a husband, is what she just said. I need to help you find a husband. Now, the thought just occurred to me. Isn't Boaz our relative? Yes, he is. Haven't you been working with his female servants? Yes, you have. This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Winnowing was a process. There's a picture of it up on the screen where they would have a place and they would do this in the evening mostly because the breeze would pick up. They would, a man would have a pitchfork and he would pick up the stalks of the grain and he would throw them up in the air and the wind would blow the waste, which was lighter, off to the side, and the grain would drop into a pile in front of him. And that's how they separated the waste from the good stuff. Uh, Jesus spoke about, John the Baptist spoke about separating the wheat from the chaff, you know. That was this winnowing process. It required the wind. Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So here's what I want you to do, Ruth. I want you to wash. Go, you've been out working in the field. Go take a bath. Right? Put on perfumed oil. Wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know, don't let Boaz know that you're there until he has finished eating 
and drinking. And when he lies down, I want you to notice, I want you to look and see where he lies down because it's going to get dark. Notice where he lies down. Notice the place where he's lying and then I want you to go in and uncover this, his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Does this sound strange to you? It did to Ruth too because she's not Jewish. This is not her culture. She doesn't understand what's going on here. Do what? So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you said. She went down to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her. After Boaz ate and drank and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the, at the end of the pile of the barley. Now, he, he was there for maybe a couple reasons. One reason is he's probably going to take a turn with the fork and, and the winnowing fork and do the winnowing. Secondly, he's there to protect his crop, all right? So he lies down at the end of the pile of the barley. And then she went in secretly uncovered his feet. He had a cloak that he wore over his garment, over his work clothes, a big cloak that he would wear at night and essentially like a big blanket. And he covered himself up with it and to keep his feet warm, he would, he would wrap the end of it around his feet and under his feet, you know? Um, you, you've slept, some of you sleep with somebody perhaps who likes to pull the covers off of you at night, especially in the wintertime. Anybody like that? My hand's up. Anybody else like that? And so you know what it's like to, in the middle of the night, you're going to wake up. Why? Because your feet are cold. You know, all of a sudden you've gotten cold and you think, why am I cold? There's this blanket here. So he, he, um, he covers himself up with the, his feet and, he, and, and she goes in and uncovers his feet and lay down at his feet. Well, at midnight, little paraphrase in here, little parentheses, his feet got cold. At midnight, Boaz was startled. He was alarmed. Why are my feet cold? And he turned over, and lying there at his feet was a woman. The word there, turned over, literally, literally is a Hebrew word that means he was bent, which means he sat up, and as he was sitting up bent, he looks down to see why his feet are uncovered, and there is a woman sleeping at his feet. Still strange, right? You know, what, and he's saying, what in the world? And so he asks, who are you? He doesn't know it's Ruth. It's dark. He didn't see her come in. She came in secretly. Who are you? And I don't think he said it loud because there's other people in there sleeping. The other workers are in there as well. Hey, Psst. I am Ruth, your slave, she replied. And then she says to him, spread your cloak over me for you are a family redeemer. I want you to spread your cloak over me because you, here's what she was saying, you are the next relative in line that can marry me and restore my husband's line so we don't lose any of the property that owned to him, that, that he owned. Can I, let me say it simply. She just proposed marriage to him. And he knows that because he knows the law. He knows the word. He knows what God's word says. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. Again, illustrating, he's a generation probably older than her. May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You've shown more kindness now than before because you've not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. <laughs> I don't know why, but you come after the old guy, you know? 
this is great. He's excited. But he says to her, now don't be afraid, my daughter. Now, ladies, you're single young woman. You're in a barn with a bunch of men at night. You might be afraid. Wonder what's going to happen next. Okay? She's from a pagan country where they worshipped one of their gods. They were, one of the types of their gods was, was a sex god where they worshipped their god with sexual rituals. That's what she's grown up with. And maybe she's wondering now what might happen next. He says to her, don't be afraid. I will do whatever for you, whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true. I am a family redeemer. He knows his position in the family. He knows, he knew Elimelech. He knew the two sons, Malan and Kilian, who have both died. He understands this whole thing. I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Ruth didn't know about this, and maybe Naomi didn't know. There's somebody who is actually next in line before me who can accomplish this, who can marry you and restore your husband's property and and inheritance and legacy to his line. So stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, we're going to give him the chance. In the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's going to come in chapter four. That's good. Why is it good? Even though Boaz would like to marry this young woman. Why does he say it's good? Because it's legal. It's right. It tells us something about this man's character. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, there's a promise right here. As the Lord lives, I will. Now, lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was dark. Before the sun comes up, she gets up to go back into town so no one knows what's going on. Boaz said aloud, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Probably he's saying this loud enough for the other guys in the room to hear it. Doesn't say that he... The language indicates probably not saying this to Ruth because he says the woman. He doesn't say to her, don't let anybody know that you were here. He says, don't let anyone say that a woman came here tonight. You guys keep your mouths shut, all right? And then he says to Ruth, bring the shawl that you're wearing that she had covered up with that kept her from him from knowing who she was earlier that evening, bring the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. So she holds out this shawl that she had had over her shoulders, holds it out, and it becomes a big sack, if you will. And he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl. Now it's important, I'll tell you at the end if we have time, why six? Not five, not seven. Six measures of barley into her shawl and she went into the town and she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her. Now, Naomi sent her off early in the evening and said, here's the instructions. You just do this and this and he'll tell you what to do and that's all happened. Naomi doesn't know what's going on. I imagine she's been sleeping, not been sleeping. She's been on pins and needles all night long. Have you ever had something that you expected big the next day and you kind of woke up a whole bunch of times during the night wondering, you know, make sure you don't sleep past it and make sure you don't miss it and all excited about it? It's kind of like when you're a kid, you know, on Christmas Eve. That's how Naomi feels right now. Ooh. And then Ruth shows up and she says, How did it go? I want to know. 
Ruth told her everything the man had done for him, verse 17. And he gave me these six measures of barley. Now, we don't know how much a measure was. It doesn't say. But six measures of barley, it was, it was not too much for her to carry. And he gave those to me because he said, now go back to your mo- don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. This was a message for Naomi, these six measures of barley. And Naomi said, when she heard that, she said, now my daughter, wait until you find out how things go. Remember, Boaz told her, tomorrow we're going to get this resolved. Tomorrow the other man will have the chance to redeem you or not. And Naomi knows the kind of man Boaz is, and she said, you wait until, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. What a story. But there's some great things in here I want you to pick up and I want you to know, all right? If you got your uh, outline and you want to follow along and take some notes, number one, God's providence brings us security. This is a story, this Ruth, a story of God's providence, how God works behind the scenes in ways that we may not see, we may not hear, we may not understand, but God's working to direct and guide your life and my life if you're a Christian. And this is a young symbol of a young Christian here. She doesn't understand everything that's going on. When, when Naomi gave her these instructions and told her, you go in and you lie down at this man's feet and you uncover his feet, she's probably thinking a lot of strange thoughts just like you were. What is this all about? But God's promise brings us security. Do you remember from chapter one, again, that Naomi's reasons for her daughters-in-law to go back to their families was so they could have security in verse nine of chapter one. So they could be secure. And security in that culture for a widow was all about, for any young woman really, was all about having a husband because the husband was the one who would work. The husband was the one who would bring home the bacon. Well, they didn't bring home bacon, they were Jews. But the one who would, the one who would bring home, the, uh, have the income and take care of her. But Naomi was begged by Ruth, take me to Bethlehem and to a foreign country where she had never been And there she began this gleaning and so forth. Look at the security that she's been given. Boaz told her back in chapter two, I want you to stay with my young men. They will protect you. And again, I didn't say this earlier, but we said it last week. The young men and the women who are working in the field are representative of who? The church. You stay with my young men. Stay with the men who serve me. And Naomi said, don't just stay with the men, but Naomi said, work with his female servants so you stay in his field. You hang out with those women, stay close to them because you don't want to go into another farmer's field. I want you to stay right here. The men and the women representing the church, just stay with them. Why? Because they bring about security for you. They will keep you secure Our security as Christians comes from two vantage points. If you're a believer here in Jesus, let me just explain security to you. Number one, first, spiritual eternal security is found in our relationship with Christ. Since since chapter one, verse nine, again, that go back to your families and marry again and be secure. The word there again is rest in some of the translations. Be secure. And that's pointing to, she was saying to them, get married That's where security is. So it points to our relationship with Christ as we who are Christians are part of his 
bride, the church. Our relationship with Jesus as a, as a church is we are the bride of Christ, the Bible says. He is the groom. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33 talk about this. And verses 31 and 32 say this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become flesh. Paul says, this mystery, the two, two people, husband and wife, becoming one flesh is profound, he said. And it is. It's a profound thing. But he said, I'm not talking here this time about the marriage relationship of a man and a woman. He says, I'm talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. It's a profound thing, he said. It's a secure relationship we have. So we have this first part where it's found in Christ, but secondly, our practical security is found in Christ's family, the church. From the time we were newborns, newborn infants in the faith, I'm not talking about when you were literally a baby, I'm talking about when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and were born again. You become a brand new baby in Christ's family. And from that time as a newborn baby until you grow up all the way through your life as a disciple, we are called to be, to be found in his family, Christ's body, under the watchful eye of, of the shepherds that God places in the church. You know, God never, I hope you get these things. Please understand this because some of you are quite not committed to a church yet. And whether it's this church or another, you need to find a, a church that, that understands the word of God and teaches the word of God and, and is about discipling believers. But listen, God never called a Christian to be on his or her own without a church. Never. He never saved something. You read the New Testament, the book of Acts, he didn't save anybody and leave them alone. He either saves them, they go back to their home, and then God sends missionaries to come and plant churches and, and, and do that, but he never, said, he never calls any of us to be alone. You know what he calls us to do? To belong to a local church family. And the church is his creation, and he's created it to be a nursery for when we're newborn baby Christians, and he's created it to be a sheepfold, a corral or a pen, if you will, where we go in and we find security because the shepherd is guarding the gate. And it's a secure place. It's a safe place. And if a church has placed itself under Christ as our Lord, then even in the church, Christ is our security. Why? Because it's his body. So he's always our security. But practically speaking, he uses the body of, of believers to hold one another accountable, to be shepherded. As a pastor, and I've been doing this pastoring thing for nearly 30 years when I see Christians who do not connect with the local church, who do not embed themselves into its fellowship, here we do that primarily through what we call connection groups, small groups. When I see Christians who will not submit to the church's leadership, because of my seeing this over 30 years of pastoring, I can tell you kind of what's ahead for that believer. I can tell you what road they're on, and, and it really isn't, it really isn't a, a pretty picture. Because once, once you choose to be outside of the fold, whether that, that separation is physical because you just say, I'm not going to participate, I'm not going to get involved, I'm not going to serve, I'll worship whenever I feel like going, if I feel like going. I, by the way, thank you for coming out on a rainy day. We prayed that you would, by the way. And now it's thundering. Or the kids are having an awesome time up there. I'm not sure which it is. 
Once you put up barriers and you don't participate, that's a physical barrier, or you put up, and that's also spiritual, or spiritual barriers, you know, where, where, you know, you just, you show up, but you've put up these physical barriers. I'm not going to get involved with anybody or anything. That's a dangerous place for sheep. And here's why. Outside the fold, outside the protection of the shepherds, the world is not going to have any pity on you, Christian. The world's going to try to suck you in to everything it's doing and destroy you and destroy your life, destroy your testimony and so forth. The world will have no pity on you because the protection is inside the fold for sheep. Let me just give you a list of scriptures. I'm not going to belabor these and, and, and I don't have time to spend with them. But you've got a list there in your notes. I think Are these scriptures in your notes? They all talk about, let me just summarize, all of those scriptures, I want you to go back, not now, but go back later and look at what they all talk about, the responsibility that shepherds, pastors have to keep you secure, all right? So be sure you go back and look at those and, and see what the world says about those things. Um, she was told, Ruth was told, take a bath. She was told, smell good, put on some perfume, Put on your best clothes. Let me tell you what Naomi was saying to her. Ruth, your time of mourning as a widow is over. You've been wearing these mourning clothes for too long. Get rid of them. Put on the best thing you have. You're going to go tonight to see Boaz, and I'm going to tell you what to do, but you need to look good. You need to smell good. You know, so go ahead and take care and, and, and take a bath and put on your best clothes. Spruce up. In your notes, salvation brings a new life. Brings us a new life. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit begins a work of changing you from the inside out. Your desires begin to change. Your habits begin to change. Your attitudes begin to change. Now, let me just say this. If you're a Christian, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you don't see any change from how you live from those days until now, you need to stop and say, what happened here? Because the Bible very explicitly says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passing away. Everything's becoming new. It doesn't all happen. I don't think it happens overnight for most people. I mean, just kind of total. I think it's a gradual letting go of the old things as the Holy Spirit's process the Bible calls sanctification. And it's lifelong. So he's always working on us, isn't he? But the Bible talks about this whole thing of putting off the old and putting on the new. It's like putting on, taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. Does it say that? Yeah. For example, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. He says about the salvation life that we have. He says to the Ephesian church, you took off your former way of life, who you used to be before you met Christ. That old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires, you put that, you took that off. And you are being renewed, consistent, constant process, progressive thing here, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Sounds like Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, doesn't it? I think Bernie and Steve were there a few weeks ago. Being renewed in the spirit of your minds, you put on the new man. Now, the, the Greek verb that he uses there, you took off the old man and you put on the new man, it's the same word that they would have used when they talked about changing clothes. 
I take off yesterday's, I put on today's. I take off the dirty, I put on the clean. He says, that's what, you ha- that's what happened to you when you became a Christian. You're taking off the old, you're putting on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness that makes you like him in righteousness and purity of the truth. Put on the clean clothes. This wasn't Ruth's plan. This wasn't Ruth's idea. This was Naomi's, and frankly, Ruth, we don't know how much she understood, but I'm sure she didn't understand much at all, but she was willing to do what Naomi told her, and here's the the point. She acted in obedience to Naomi, and again, Naomi represents who in the story? The Holy Spirit. She's acting in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I don't understand, but I'm gonna do what you say. Now, the Bible tells us we're saved by grace through faith, but the Bible also tells us we grow, we mature as disciples by obeying. Remember what Jesus told the disciples in the Great Commission? I want you to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. That means learners. Baptizing them. Baptism is the first step of obedience that a Christian takes when they follow Jesus. Baptizing them, and then he says this, teaching them, but he doesn't stop with that. He says, teaching them to do what? To observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. The life of a disciple is a life of obedience. And Ruth obeys here. She does what Christ said. Here's the deal. Here's just the the fact of life in our Christian lives. If you and I are not willing to trust and obey, we will never grow and mature. Won't happen took some courage to do what Ruth is is getting ready to do, to go down to that threshing room floor and smell good. I mean, these guys don't smell good. They've been working hard all day. And she might have been thinking thoughts like this, I don't understand why I'm doing this. This makes no sense. It seems a bit odd for me to go down and lay at his feet and uncover his feet. I don't understand. I'm going down to lie where a bunch of men are sleeping. Doesn't sound really safe and secure to me. And what if he doesn't get it? What if he says, what in the world are you doing here? Get out of here. What if he doesn't get it? I can't explain it to him because I don't get it either. So for Ruth, this really was an act of obedience and trust, faith. Your next point is that discipleship begins in the life of a new Christian with obedience. I wonder, let me ask a question. How much of a Christian's life, some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, how much of a Christian's life is faithful obedience? Think about that. How much? I think the answer should be that faith and obedience ought to encompass all of our lives, everything we do. Doesn't the Bible tell us, tells us, it tells us that in all we do, do to the glory of God. I cannot glorify God if I'm in disobedience. I cannot glorify God if I'm not trusting him. In everything you do, Paul said, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all, even how I eat and drink, yes, and that may mean I then Thanksgiving Day, I maybe not eat so much. But anyway, do all to the, don't be a glutton, do all to the glory of God. Will everybody around me understand why I live this way that's become so different? What's the answer to that? No. But that shouldn't stop us from obeying the Holy Spirit as he leads us. So she goes and she does this, uncovers his feet. He wakes up. Do you wonder, by the way, I wonder, did did the other guys who were laying on the floor in there asleep as well, 
did they see her come in? Did they, did they, somebody notice her lay down? Are they listening to this whispered conversation and going, oh, what is, there's a woman, what, what's going on in here? I don't know. But she asked him, I, I want you to fulfill your responsibility as the family redeemer. I want you to marry me. Now, she didn't, I don't think she knew that's what she was saying to him. She said, cover me up with your cloak. Next week, we're going to see how this redemption happened and what it means. But she told Ruth that Boaz is going to know what he should do. And that's because he's a man of the law. Remember, we learned that last Sunday. And he would explain to her what to do next. Okay, he knows. And if Boaz was agreeable to spread his cloak over her, he was proposing marriage to her. Naomi knows that. And in our culture, we, we typically put an engagement ring on her finger. This is a whole lot cheaper, by the way, guys, you know. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, you see the application of this. If you turn back a page, chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said to Naomi, may the Lord reward you for what you've done, her coming to the field and gleaning and taking care of her mother-in-law. May the Lord reward you for what you've done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel. Let Get this, under whose wings you have come for refuge. How's that tied in? Well, in the Hebrew, literally, it says, Spread the wing of your, she said to Boaz, spread the wing of your garment over me. Literally the edge of your cloak. God, speaking to Jerusalem in Ezekiel chapter 16, God uses the same terminology describing his relationship with the Jews when he says, then I passed by you and saw you and you were indeed the age for love to marry you, if you will. So I, what? Spread the edge of my garment over you. Jot this down. Next point, obedience. Not only is it how we are discipled, become disciples, but obedience to God produces a good public testimony. Again, Boaz looks at her and he says, I'm just flattered that you've asked me to marry you. And I don't mind marrying you because your reputation has spread. I mean, she's been there for six weeks. And the people in town in Bethlehem, by the way, it's important that it's in Bethlehem. The people in town are talking about you. And they're talking about what a, what a, what, how much integrity you have. They're saying, you know, this woman is a Moabitess. She's not even one of us. But look how she cares for Naomi. Look how hard she works. She's, a, she's taken on our God as her own God. He said, your testimony, your reputation is so good. People are talking about you in the kindest of terms. He's old enough to be your father, but he says, you haven't chased after the young guys. And he's telling her in these words, you propose that I marry you, I'm telling you, yes, I will. But he tells her there's another man who has the right to redeem you and with you bear a child to your dead husband's line. But he says, you know, again, he tells her, everybody in town knows who you are. Listen, when you as a Christian live in obedience to the word of God, as Naomi is, even though she doesn't understand it, when you live according to the leading of, in your life of the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. The world sits up and takes notice. They see the change in you. And they think, man, some really good things are happening in that person's life, in your life. But let me also say, 
If you live in disobedience to the Lord, and you, you know, people around you say, well, yeah, you claim to be a Christian, and you go to church once in a while, but man, you, you, you kind of don't live any different from how you used to live. The world also sits up and takes notice of that. And what's happening by that witness, by that reputation, by that testimony, you're saying to them, it's not that big of a deal to be a Jesus follower. I mean, I can follow Jesus and still live like I used to. And they're going to say, so why should I follow Jesus? Why should I become a Christian if there's nothing to gain from it? No change positive that's made from it. Boaz knows the law well. He wants to marry her. There's another man in line. He says, and he says, but I'm not going to step in front of that man. We're going to give him tomorrow the opportunity to marry you if that's what he wants to do. Even though Boaz wanted to marry her, he does that. And that tells me something about Boaz. It tells me that he's not thinking of himself, is he? He's thinking really about Ruth. He knew that Ruth being a foreigner, being a widow, did not have much of a future, being from another country did not have much of a future without a husband. And so he puts himself, not in first place, but in second place here. Because should he marry Ruth and should they have a son, that son would legally be her dead husband's, Malan's son, and inherit that property that belonged to him. So in essence, for inheritance sake, this child that they might have is going to be seen as Boaz's legally adopted son, even though he's physically his son, And not only that, I have to say this, guys. He's going to inherit a mother-in-law who's still bitter. How much fun is that, you know? So he's thinking about that, and he he says that doesn't matter. He's a very kind, moral, unselfish man. He's agreeable to all these things. And it reminds me of these words about Christ in Philippians 2. Existing in the form of God, he, Jesus, did not consider equality with God is something to be used for his own advantage. In other words, when he came to earth, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us, those he came to redeem. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men. Now this whole sequence, what we've just read in Ruth, the last things he says to her was, look, we've got to keep this a secret. And I'll explain that in a moment. Why the secrecy? Well, first of all, the young men who witnessed and heard all this and and, and knew what was going to happen the next day, he doesn't want them to go out and tell what happened that night. You guys keep it quiet. Why? Well, he knows that some would, as people do, suspect that, hey, Ruth went in and spent the night with Boaz. Mm, Maybe they did more than sleep. That's how people talk. And having sexual relations with someone in their culture that you're not married to, and in the scriptures, God's plan, if you're not married to someone and you're having sexual relations with that person, the Bible defines that as adultery. And if Boaz was suspected of adultery with a foreigner, then he would forfeit his legal and righteous right to marry her. So the rumors might jeopardize this marriage. You guys keep it quiet. 
Secondly, if word got out in, uh, about what happened, including the, the covering with the cloak and the proposal and the, and the other man who's the nearer relative, we know, don't know his name, but if he heard about this the next day, he might not be able to make a free choice really about whether or not he wants to marry Ruth. And he might just say, well, Boaz, good grief, man. You took away my right. You cheated me out of this, so you know what? You can have her. And Boaz... That's not what he wanted because Boaz wants to do the right thing, the lawful thing. He was a man of the book. Well, why doesn't Rick, why doesn't God just say, okay, everybody goes to heaven? Kind of the same kind of thing. Why, why isn't God, why doesn't God say, why doesn't God say, listen, listen, world, I know that everybody's guilty of sin. I know I've said the wages of sin is death. I know I've said the soul that sins will surely die and all those kinds of things, but I'll tell you what, here is 2015, almost 2016, and I'm going to change. I'm going to contradict my word. I'm going to contradict my law, and I'm going to say everybody gets a free pass. doesn't matter what you believe. You could be an atheist. That's okay. You could be Muslim. I don't care. You could be Buddhist. doesn't make a difference. That's okay with me. I'm going to give everybody eternal life. What's wrong with that? A couple things. Number one, God never contradicts himself. That would be a contradiction. To do so would make him changeable. God, God just says, hey, you know what? I've changed my mind. You know what? I was mistaken about this. Let me clarify this a little bit. Let me kind of... God doesn't change. The Bible says he never changes. He is immutable, is the theological term. He doesn't change. And secondly, or firstly, he doesn't contradict himself. Secondly, he doesn't change because to, for him to change would for, be for him to say, I made a mistake. This doesn't work anymore, would be what he would have to say. Hey, you know, Jesus came and he died on the cross, and I know that, and he rose from the dead, but you know what? You don't have to believe that. God doesn't do that. God stays the same. Naomi can't wait to hear. Ruth shows up the next morning. She's on pins and needles. She can't wait to hear what's happened. And Ruth tells her the story. But remember, Boaz gave her these six measures of barley. That was a message specifically for Naomi, and she, she would understand what the six measures of barley meant. Now, do you? No. Let me explain it, because it's significant. We don't know how much, again, a measure was, a quart perhaps, but we don't know. It wasn't too much for her to carry. But think back to creation with me. Again, these are Jewish people. They understand the books of Moses. They understand the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. Think back to creation. Everything God had to do to make this universe was done, the Bible says, in six days. He finished it all in six days. On the seventh day, it says he did what? He rested. You go back to chapter 1, verse 9, and Naomi speaks to her daughter-in-law. Daughters-in-law say, go back to your families, and maybe you can find rest. The six measures of, it's like the six days of creation. And he was saying to Naomi, Ruth didn't understand this, everything's been done. Everything that legally needs to be done has been done so that tomorrow 
Again, rest was a symbol of what? Of marriage. Tomorrow we can be married. It was all had a purpose. God was behind all of this and even in those kind of symbolisms. And he promised, Boaz promised Ruth, happens tomorrow. That's where we go next Sunday. Hope you don't miss it. God's providence tells us that God has a plan for me. He gave us his word, folks, for a reason. And that's to reveal to us his will. He has, if you're a Christian, he's got a plan for every Christian to be part of a local body of believers that we call the church. That's his plan, not mine, it's his. If you're a Christian and you've placed your faith solely and completely in Jesus Christ for salvation, listen to me because I know some of you are like this here, and I'm not harping on you, but I want you to know if you're a believer in Jesus and you've not committed yourself to a local body of believers, you're missing out on God's will for your life. God also has a plan for those who aren't Christians. The Bible says that Jesus is one and only Son. We've been singing about him as Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be our Redeemer. We're going to talk about that a whole lot next Sunday. And he came to claim you if you will acknowledge him as your savior. And he paid the price of his own life so that you would no longer be a foreigner, but could be a member of his family. And if you're not sure, you're here today and you say, I'm not sure that I'm, that's where I am. Would you right now, my my encouragement to you is just write this moment and you say, but I want to be. Just admit to him that you're a sinner that you, that doesn't mean you have to tell them every sin you ever committed. We don't have that much time. Not for me or you. But if you're like me, that would be a long list. But, but simply admit to him that as a sinner, you have no hope without Christ as your Redeemer and your Savior. And then simply by faith, just believe with your whole heart, trust in him and him alone. You know, Ruth did not understand, by the way, Christians, Again, she didn't understand what Naomi was telling her to do. And you say, I don't know that I understand it all, but I want to believe it. And you can. And Jesus said to believe in him. And his promise was that you would have everlasting life. If you're making that decision today, or maybe it's a decision today, I want to become a committed part of this local church. If you're a local resident, and and you say, this is where I, I know God wants me to be. I believe the Holy Spirit brought you here today. And he wants you to learn more about it. He wants you to become part of the church. He wants you to be baptized if that's your need. He wants you to follow him. And we're here to help you with that. You can take out a communication card. You can let us know a couple ways. Fill out one of these on the back where it says, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior for the first time in my life. Or today I want to know how I can become involved in Nags Head Church. But let us know, and we'll follow up, and, and you can drop the card off, or you can, I would, I would much rather you come up and say, Rick, can I talk with you for a second? I'm going to hang out up here for that reason. But I hope that you will. Next Sunday, if you thought today was strange, lie at his feet, uncover, uncover. You thought, thought that was, that's weird. It really gets weird next week. Because it's about taking off his shoe. It's about spitting in a man's face. And it's all in God's law. 
And we're going to find out. It's incredible. It really is. So I hope you'll be back. If not, we'll have it on our podcast. So you can, we've got two more weeks in Ruth. So you can do that. All right, let's stand. Let's have a prayer. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you've got family, friends to celebrate with. And, uh, and, and just enjoy the time. Teach your kids. Thanksgiving is such a wonderful time to teach our children about thanking God in everything, what that means. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that, that Jesus, you've said yes to us. I will redeem you. And we know, Lord, there's a lot of competition in this world for our hearts. And I pray that we would give our hearts totally over to you, that we would love you with all our hearts and all our soul, all our mind and all our strength, that we would say we would put off the old and put on the new. Thank you for Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. They're, I, I want to meet them one day and tell them I thought your story was too cool. And look forward to that day. Give us a great week, great Thanksgiving. Bring us back, I hope, next Sunday for just a wonderful time together in your word and worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.